You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. Well, I like going to the movies. Uh, I, I know most of you do. I don't go to, to very many, um, but there are certain movies you have to agree that really you have to see in a theater, especially those movies that are shown in what we know as 3D. Now, Everest was kind of one of those movies. It's a story of uh, you know people who died trying to climb uh, that mountain in 3D. And I gotta tell you, as you're watching that in the theater, it's like you are really there on that mountain. I remember even kind of feeling cold watching that movie because that's just how real it is. And that's, again, one of those advantages of what we call 3D. Now, to me, the entire concept of 3D viewing is just very intriguing. As you know, we human beings uh, generally come equipped, uh, you can kind of look around the room and verify this, we kind of come equipped with one head and two eyes, okay? Unlike horses now, our eyes are kind of located side by side in the very front of our heads, and thanks to this proximity, each eye takes a view of the same thing from a slightly different angle. So each one of your eyes picks up visual information the other eye doesn't. So as each eye kind of captures its own view, those two separate images are sent onto your brain for processing. And when those two images arrive simultaneously in the back of the brain, they are united into one picture, and the end result is what you are seeing is kind of a three-dimensional stereo picture. Now, the English word stereo actually comes from the Greek word stereos, which means firm or solid. In other words, with stereo vision, you see an object the way it should be seen in three spatial dimensions, height, width, and depth. It is this added perception of the depth dimension that makes 3D viewing and stereo vision so extraordinarily unique. So today we're kind of beginning a Christmas series we're calling 3D Christmas. And I am absolutely convinced the more secularized our culture becomes, the more and more people don't really see Christmas in its full dimension and therefore really don't understand or fully appreciate what the Christmas story is really all about. Let me just kind of elaborate on that a little. What most people think about when it comes to Christmas We generally kind of just think of two questions, when and what. When will Christmas be? In other words, we kind of begin to think about the day of the week that Christmas is going to fall on, and how is that going to kind of affect, how is that going to play into, you know, my work schedule, family gatherings, traveling. You know, for instance, this year Christmas is on a Monday, Okay, so we had to kind of think here as a church, so how is that going to affect 
when we do Christmas Eve, how we do Christmas Eve. Do we just do regular Sunday morning, Sunday night? Uh, so we even kind of thought about this whole concept uh, of when, when we're thinking about Christmas Eve. So we're going to do one service Christmas Eve morning, 9 o'clock, and then we're going to do one Christmas Eve service uh, that night, Sunday night, at 5 o'clock. Okay, again, it, it's hard not to notice that every year, uh, the Christmas season seems to begin earlier and earlier as retailers stretch it out as long as they possibly can with Christmas music, Christmas shopping, Christmas bargains, all beginning earlier and earlier than ever before. And the whole goal of that is to kind of get you focused and kind of thinking of that one magical day, December 25th. The other question that we generally kind of think about is the what of Christmas. What are we going to give for Christmas gifts? What do I want for Christmas gifts? For a growing segment of our population, this is kind of where their thinking stops. They don't see Christmas in 3D. They see it in 2D. There is a third dimension of Christmas that a growing segment in our culture, for the most part, really never thinks about. It is that third dimension to me that gives the significance, the depth, the meaning to Christmas that, that so many people often miss, and that is the question, why? Why do we celebrate Christmas? Why do billions of people at this time of year stop and celebrate the birth of a baby in a nondescript town in a relatively meaningless country over 2,000 years ago. A great professor of law school used to begin his first class every year by putting two numbers on a blackboard, a four, and beside it, the number two. And then he would ask this question, what is the solution and a student would immediately begin crying out six, another would say two, another would shout out eight. At each answer, the teacher would shake his head no. And when they were done, the professor would point out their one fatal error. He said the reason why you cannot find the solution, and that is because you have failed to ask the key question, what is the problem? Unless you know what the problem is, you'll never find the solution. Christmas, my friends, it is more than just a celebration. Christmas trees, gifts, caroling. Essentially, Christmas was the solution to a problem. And that begs the question, what is the problem Christmas solves? which should lead us to other important questions such as why did God come in human flesh to this earth? Why was he born? Why Christmas? And the answer to those questions lies in actually three places, the world we live in, the heart within us, and a book called the Bible. When you ask people why they are here on this earth, what's your purpose? You know, the number one common answer from most people is this, to make the world a better place. Which begs the question, why do we need to make the world a better place? Well, because deep down, we know there is something that is not right with our world. 
Deep down, we know this world is not what it should be or even what it was meant to be. And we look all around us at the evil that is in the world today. We see moral evil. We see terrorist attacks on innocent people, war, crime, discrimination, racism, injustice. We see what we call natural evil. We have cataclysmic events occurring in nature, such as the wildfires right now in California, hurricanes, tsunamis, floods, earthquakes, all that kill innocent people every year. We see what we call social evil, things such as poverty, hunger, homelessness, and all of this kind of serves as an indicator, a barometer, that there is something horribly wrong with this world on so many levels. And then we just turn and we look at our own heart, and deep down we know there is something wrong with us. There's something broken in us. Why do we do the things we shouldn't do? Why don't we do the things we know we should do? Why are we always falling short even of our own self-prescribed standards of decency and righteousness? What is the problem with us? As we begin to think about all of those questions, whether we know it or not, we are actually getting closer to the why of Christmas. Contrary to popular belief, the story of Christmas really doesn't begin in the Gospels. Do you know where the story of Christmas really begins? It begins in the beginning. It actually begins in the first book of the Bible. It begins in all places, a garden, the Garden of Eden. See, the story of Christmas, it's much deeper than Santa and Rudolph and Frosty. It actually begins with two people named Adam and Eve who were two people who were at perfect peace with God. They're at perfect peace with each other. They're actually at perfect peace within themselves, and they are living in a perfect world. It doesn't get much more perfect than that. Something happened that plunged this world into the conflict we are still facing and fighting today. And folks, it is the cause of every single problem on this planet. And again, you will never understand. You will never fully appreciate what happened in Bethlehem with the birth of Christ if you do not understand what happened in the Garden of Eden. That's why the Christmas story begins there. The first mention of Christmas was B.C., not A.D., and you may ask, how could there be a Christmas story before Jesus even came? And the story of Christmas is an intricate part of a much greater story that goes all the way back to the beginning of the human race. The Christmas story is actually God's solution to the world's greatest problem. You have to see Christmas in 3D, and the story of Christmas can be basically boiled down to these three words, sin, savior, salvation. You'll never understand Christmas, and you'll never see it in 3D until you understand this key concept, sinners need a savior. And so this morning, we're gonna look at the three whys of Christmas quickly. 
And for that, I invite you, if you've got your Bibles with you, to open those up to Genesis chapter 3. The first why of Christmas is simply this. Christmas solves our problem of sin. Now, as we get into this story here in chapter 3 of Genesis, again, keep in mind, this is so important. Adam and Eve had been living a life we cannot even relate to or come close to possibly understanding. They were perfect people in a perfect environment that had a perfect relationship with God. These were people, they knew nothing about crime, murder, rape, terrorism, lust, bitterness, anger, anxiety, credit card debt, sickness, hurricanes, tsunamis. I mean, the word Eden, did did you know this? It literally means delight. Everything in the Garden of Eden was literally coming up. Roses was constantly delightful. And then this happens In chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Eve, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, you shall not eat of the, or the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it. Let me just say, God never said that. He just said, don't eat it. Okay, she adds to the word of God there. Lest you die. Now the serpent responds to the woman and says, you you will not surely die. Okay, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes are going to be open and you will be like God knowing good from evil. Now without going into too much detail here at this point, again I want you to understand this is just a conversation that has unfolded between Eve and this serpent. There's been no harm, there's no foul, there's no damage, there's certainly no sin. However, at this juncture in the conversation, I want you to notice two seeds have been sown into the mind of Eve. The first one is the seed of doubt. Can God's word really be trusted? And then there's the seed of distrust. Is God trying to keep you from something? Is God trying to keep you from knowledge? I want you to understand, as long as those two seeds of doubt and distrust are left alone, not watered, not cultivated, not acted upon, they will never bear the fruit of disobedience, rebellion, and sin. Now again, this is a pivotal moment, not just in this conversation, but for the human race, because this is where the battle for the future of the world and the people who live in it will be won or lost. God clearly stated there will be consequences to your actions, both good and bad. There's gonna be blessings and curses to your actions. He had clearly said to Adam and Eve, if you eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall die. Now this is interesting because for the first time, two human beings hear a word they are never supposed to hear again, and that is the word, die. 
Think about this. They are hearing about a concept called death that they were never originally created to experience. That's why death continually is an affront to us. Continuing on is that we witness the single tragedy that has put the world into the mess it is in today. And just as the first two chapters of Genesis tell us how this all began, we're going to see now how it ended. Continuing in verse 6, so that when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Now what you find there in this verse is a description of what the Bible labels as sin. It was the first sin ever committed. It was the first act of rebellion and disobedience ever committed. And I realize in this postmodern age we are living in, the word sin, again, has fallen out of favor. It's ridiculed by many, many people. A lot of times you'll hear people kind of talk about sin, and they'll kind of talk about it as a mistake uh, or, or a misjudgment. Uh, but God calls it what it is, it's sin. And sin is simply disbelieving the word of God and disobeying the will of God. And so the result of this sin is that evil is just going to begin to unfold. And God knows what evil is because God is omniscient. Okay? He knows everything. But we know what evil is because of experience. God knows what it is to see evil. We know what it is to experience evil. So immediately, Adam and Eve, they kind of see things and feel things they were never, ever meant to see or feel before. They feel shame. They realize they're naked, and what do they do? They clothe themselves. They feel separation and distance. They know that their relationship with God has been significantly damaged, and it is now in need of tremendous repair, which is beyond them to fix. Through sorrow, they realize things will never, ever be the same again. And God told Adam and Eve that they would die. Now, I know it at first, it appears that they didn't, but they did. Do you realize they first died spiritually on the inside, eventually followed by death in the body on the outside? Their spiritual antennas kind of went down. Their spiritual light was extinguished. And from that moment until now, everything has been affected and defected by us. That's why roses have thorns. Cities now need policemen. Airports now need metal detectors. Nations now need warplanes and warships. And the world needs cemeteries to bury their dead. Again, we have all been infected and affected by this, and the signs of it are all around us. And we are all carriers and contagious with this disease called sin. And because of what happened on that one fateful day, it created this hole in the human soul that can only be filled by what a little baby born in Bethlehem over 2,000 years ago can bring. 
See, people, we all go to the doctor when we kind of begin to experience symptoms of a problem. Many times the symptoms, you know, for us, they kind of begin on the outside, right? We see a rash, we feel a a lump or a bump, and, and we go to the doctor because of these symptoms. And again, we know that we're gonna go to the doctor because we know whatever is going on on the outside of our bodies is usually caused by something that's going on on the inside of our bodies, And the true story of Christmas tells us something is happening on the outside of our world that can really only be addressed and resolved by treating what is wrong with this world on the inside. The heart of the human problem is the problem of the heart, the human heart. The Bible says that's where moral evil, natural evil, social evil, all those symptoms of evil brought about They're all the result of the deeper issue of sin within us. The problem is sin, and the reason the Christ child was born over 2,000 years ago was not to deal with the symptoms, the surface issues, but to solve the deeper problem, the deeper issue, which is sin. That's the first why, which leads us to the second why of Christmas, and that is Christmas meets our need for a Savior, Aren't you glad to know that God never leaves an issue or a problem unresolved? God doesn't need to wait on a lab report. God does not rely on the counsel or the advice of anybody else. The problem of sin has now entered into the universe, and God does not miss a beat. He immediately puts forth the remedy or the solution. It is wrapped up in a single verse that I believe carries within it the hope for the entire world. I want you to focus with me for just a moment on Genesis 3.15. Now, you know, some of you may be tempted at this point, you know, to kind of fall asleep or to kind of start thinking about lunch. Some of you may be saying, I've, I've been there for a while now. Um, but I want you to, I, I want, I'm going to show you something that I'm guaranteeing that 99% of you in here have never seen or understood before that I just think to me tells me that the Bible is divinely inspired, okay? And, and if you'll get this, I think you'll agree with me. Now, Genesis 3.15 states this. This is God speaking. I will put enmity between you and the woman between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now whether you know this or not, this is the first prophecy of the Bible. More than that, it is the first gospel sermon ever given to us in the Bible. Even more than that, it is not just the story of Christmas itself, but it is the story, it is the uh, unveiling of Jesus Christ himself. This verse, it is both a promise of someone who will come to rescue us from our sin and a prophecy that this someone is indeed Christ Jesus. Now I can safely say that this one verse is what the entire Bible is all about. Because from this point on, What you are going to read all the way from Genesis 3.16 to the very end of Revelation is how God keeps his promises and how God fulfills his promises. 
Now, what is interesting to me, and you may not know this, is the word for offspring in the Hebrew language is literally the word seed. Now, for centuries, this baffled and befuddled many of the Jewish rabbis because as we know from reproductive biology classes, we know the woman has the egg, the man has the seed. The word seed is used in Scripture over 300 times. And except all but one time is it used to describe the seed of the man. Now what is interesting, in Genesis 3.15, this is unique to Genesis 3.15, it describes the seed of the woman. That is fascinating to me. God is telling us that this one who will rescue us from sin and defeat Satan would be born from a woman. In all the rest of scripture, we read that children are born from their father. But in this one particular scripture, Genesis 3.15, he's saying this one is going to be born of a woman. But no father is mentioned here in Genesis 3.15. The implication being that this person will not have a biological earthly father, hence born of a virgin. Furthermore, every time the word seed is used in scripture, it means children. It's plural. When the word is singular, as it is here in Genesis 3.15, it always denotes a specific descendant, and when it is an individual, the pronoun is always, always, always masculine. So the significance of what we read in Genesis 3.15 is that a man, a male, is going to be born from a woman without an earthly father, and he is going to be capable of undoing everything that has been done. Whew. As a matter of fact, centuries later, Isaiah, the prophet, he said it this way, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign, a witness. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. This redeemer is going to be a human being. He's going to be the seed of a woman. He's going to have an earthly mother. Yet every other child has to have a father. And if it's not an earthly father, there's only one other father left, and that is a heavenly father, which we know is the story of Christmas. And God prophesied, he said, when the seed of this woman would would come forth, two bruisings are gonna take place. He said, you shall bruise, he shall bruise your head, you shall bruise his heel. There would be a bruising of the serpent's head and there would be a bruising of the Savior's heel is what the writer is saying. Now where does a snake usually strike as you're walking along a path? 
on the foot or on the heel, right? That's exactly what happened at the cross when the venom of this entire sin of the human race was put upon, injected into Jesus Christ who died for the sin that began clear back there in the Garden of Eden. That Savior was promised and was prophesied in this verse of Scripture in Genesis, and Jesus is the fulfillment of that prophecy and the keeping and the fulfillment of God's promise. Now I'm gonna just mention verse number three. Again, you've got the outline. I'll let you preach to yourself over lunch uh, on this one. But the third why of Christmas is Christmas provides us the gift of salvation. See, there's, there's really no point in, in having a Savior, or there's really no need for a Savior if we don't need to be saved from anything, right? Isn't that what makes a Savior a Savior? Is that he's here to save us from something? What is that something? Sin. The Bible says that Jesus was born. I, I, I love uh, what... Um, Matthew says, uh, in, in Matthew 1, verse 21, he says this, she, Mary, will give birth to a son, and you will name him Yahshua. He saves, is what that word means. Because he will save his people from their sins. That's what a savior does. He saves people from their sins. That's the why of Christmas. Sin, all of us were born into sin, born with sin, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3, 23 says. And the wages of that sin is death. It's separation from God. Jesus was the solution. He was the answer to the problem of sin. He came born as a savior to save those of us who have been affected, defected by sin. It's the glory, it's the beauty, it's the message of Christmas. So I want to just ask maybe those of you this morning that maybe you're kind of, I, I love what, what Dustin talked about this morning. It's so true of all of us. Where he talked about, you know, I, I tried to, you know, fight the addiction of alcohol by myself, on my own, in my own strength, in my own power. Every one of us can look at areas and issues of sin in our lives where we've done the exact same thing Dustin has done. I have a problem. I have an issue. I have a sin. I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to deal with it. I'm going to solve it. And like Dustin, we can't. We're powerless. We're hopeless in regards of ever overcoming that and other sins in our lives. It's why we need a savior. Maybe you're here this morning and, and you're kind of like Dustin. There's an area, there's an issue. There may be several areas, several issues where sin is raging its ugly head in your life. And folks, it can come in many, many forms. And maybe what you're needing here this morning is, again, just that realization, whatever it is you're fighting, you cannot win. You cannot beat it. You cannot overcome it. But thanks be to God, there is one who has come, 
One who has been born, one who has died and risen again, is alive forevermore. His spirit is available to dwell within us who can break the power, who can break the penalty of sin, and his name is Jesus. And he is God's gift, he is God's answer, he is God's solution to our every dilemma, our every problem, our every sin. So maybe this morning we need to have maybe kind of that aha moment that Dustin did. I can't do this. I've tried repeatedly and I fail. And we just need to ask God to send, to give, to empower us with the spirit of his Savior who has come to save his people from their sins. Amen? Let's just stand together this morning and invite the worship team to come back up on the platform. Father, I, I just uh, pray for people here this morning, God, and I, I include myself in this. That God, I think if, if each one of us in this room were honest, God, that we could see areas in our lives, God, where maybe we're trying to fight a particular issue, we're trying to overcome a particular difficulty, we're wrestling maybe with a particular kind of sin, and God, we've talked ourselves into this idea that we can do it ourselves. We can go it alone, and that God, we don't need help, and God, the problem with that is, is, is that's why we're continuing to struggle. It's why we're where we're at. As Dustin kind of identified that, that is that sin of pride. I can do it myself and I don't need any help. And God, as Dustin said, you know, you hate pride, God. It, it, pride is an affront to you. So God, maybe for us here this morning, we just need to basically kind of begin to deal with the issue or the issues we're wrestling with just by that acknowledgement of God, I can't do this alone. I need your help. And God, we acknowledge that your son, Jesus Christ, was born. He came into this earth. He was born as a savior to save us from our sins. God, we cannot save ourselves. And God, we cannot fight these battles alone. We need you and we need your son. We need your Holy Spirit. And so, Father, this morning, I just, I pray over any and all here this morning who are struggling, and Father, I pray, Lord, that we would just, again, release, let go of, repent of, turn from that spirit of pride, and God, we acknowledge that, God, you are almighty, you are all-powerful, you are all-sufficient, you are all-knowing. And that, God, you have sent your son to be the answer to our struggles, to our weakness, to our sins, to our failures. And, Father, we just receive him in those places. We receive him in our heart. We receive him in our lives. And, God, we ask, Lord, that your power would be released in and through us, God, that we can be overcomers. And we thank you for a savior who saves. 
saves people like us. Father, we are grateful. We worship you. We thank you. We love you. We proclaim your greatness, your goodness, your mercy, your faithfulness, both now and forevermore. And all of God's people said, amen. This morning, we're just going to kind of close with worship. Communion is uh, here this morning. Again, Jesus said, when you take the bread of the juice, the juice is, again, symbol of his blood. It's for forgiveness. Every time you do this, again, we just remember his blood was shed for you and I that we could be clean, that we could be free, that we could be whole and restored in our relationship with God. So as you come this morning, we just want you to come in that attitude with that frame of mind that God has provided for our every need, beginning with forgiveness, wholeness through the broken body, the shed blood of Jesus Christ. If you also want prayer this morning, there are believers up here that would love to pray with you this morning. Thanks for listening. For more information about Praise Community Church, including gathering times and events, please visit us at praisecc.org.